0: We wrapped up our series called Top Ten last week, and we did it with an an 11th sermon. So uh, if you missed that 11th sermon out of the Top Ten, go back and check it out. Um, It was uh, a lot of of stuff that happened in that sermon series. But we are doing something different this week. I've wanted to do this for a while. We've done this in our Elevate um, youth before where we we, take—we're calling this uh, Take Five. And what this is going to be is I've got five slots, and they each get five to seven minutes— to preach a mini sermon to you, okay, and and the reason why this is important is because I believe that God wants to sometimes sometimes you know that God speaks something to you, but sometimes God wants to speak He wants to speak something through you, and I think it's really important for us as a church to understand the the value of the body of Christ a little bit deeper. And I can get up here and I I preach a lot. And I can share and I believe that's a responsibility that I have as a pastor to be able to do that and to lead us in those things. But I also believe that there are other voices that we need to hear from time to time, that we need to hear what God is speaking to and speaking through other people uh, because these are very, very important things for us to catch. Now, in my personal reading, I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now and, and Ezekiel is one of those prophets that God was speaking something to but he was also speaking something through. And so, uh, and that's all throughout Scripture. And, And one of the things that I was reading, and this may be something that's for you today, but I posted this out online, but Ezekiel, you know, God spoke this to him, and he spoke it not just to him, but through him. Let me read something to you real quick. This may be for you right before we even get going. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, said, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel, saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Have you guys ever felt that way before? It's like, you know, I have these promises from God, but it seems like the days are long and the vision's not happening. And he said, that's kind of been a proverb in the land. And maybe that something like that has been a proverb in your own heart, where you felt like, man, the days are long. The vision doesn't seem to happen. And, and God told him, he said, tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, and this may be for somebody here today. See, God sometimes brings a right now word in a right now moment for a right now season in your life, and this may be for you. But it says, tell them therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, the days are near, near and the fulfillment of every vision. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, that your hope needs to rise up, that the days are near the fulfillment of every vision that God has been putting in your heart. It's just an example about how sometimes God will speak to you something that he wants to speak also through you. And so I've invited five people for the five slots this week and I'm gonna have them come up at this time. Would you give them a big hand as they come up and they're gonna take their spots. This is gonna be like a tag team sermon, okay? And here's your responsibility in all of this. Your responsibility is, one, to listen to what God is saying to you. And it may happen in any one of these five slots, or it may happen in all of the five slots. We don't know. It could be one word. It could be all of these put together. But our job as listeners is to listen by faith to see what God might say. And then the second part that we have in all of this is if you hear something good or something that rings your bell, let, let's, let's encourage the people. You can say amen, you can say that's right, go ahead and practice it, I mean just say some, amen, that's good, that's good, I like that. You can, you can do whatever it takes to encourage somebody uh, and that will really encourage them to draw out of them what the Spirit of God is saying. So let me introduce, first of all, I've got my wife, would you give my wife a big hand, Becca? She's gonna be taking slot one. We've got Becky Dewitt who oversees our children's ministry. They've been doing a lot of cool stuff there. We've got Sean and Caitlin back here in the back. They, yeah. Sean is my son. Caitlin, my daughter-in-law. They oversee the youth, uh, the Elevate Teenage Ministry back there. And then you guys know Pastor Aaron. Give Pastor Aaron a big hand. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna kick this off rapid fire. So Lord, we thank you so much that you're speaking to us and through us and we are ready to be eager listeners to what you might have to say to us. We say, let the word be sown into our hearts in good soil in Jesus' name, amen. Here's Becca.
1: Okay, so 17, 18 years ago, Sean was youth pastor at a mega church. And so because of that, we had several night services. There was a Wednesday night youth church and then a Friday night church service that we had to go to. And so since he was a youth pastor, after service he would have to stay a long time and do a whole bunch of stuff. But I was mom of a mega family at that time. I had four kids, five and under. And so when church was over, I had them all piled in the car, getting them home, getting them to bed. And so this was our routine. And so one particular Friday night, I got home. You know, the you guys, you moms know what it's like. All of them to bed, finally they're sleeping and I'm brushing my teeth in the bathroom. And sometime in that process, he comes home earlier than normal, shuts off his headlights, coasts into the driveway, sneaks into the house, sneaks into our bedroom, which is dark because I just have the bathroom light on. <clears throat> he actually gets in our bed and covers up because he's super skinny. So he's, he's flat as he can be in the bed. And so I get in bed like, and so he's looking at me and he just pulls the covers down like this. And staring at me and I leap out of bed and I throw everything I can find at him and say all the things that one says in a situation like that. But anyway, so why do I tell this story? I tell it because he was silent. He was a silent husband and I didn't know he was there, but he was there all the time. Uh, Has God ever seemed silent to anyone? Anybody? Hands raised. I've gone through a lot of seasons like that where it seems like God is silent And I can't hear or I can't feel the way that I had in the past. And I actually, you know, I'm I'm standing up here as part of the prayer team a lot. And that's one of the most prayer requests I get. I'll have somebody come see me and they'll say, Becca, I pray, nothing. I worship, nothing. I read my Bible, nothing. I don't understand. What did I do? What did I do wrong? Why isn't God speaking like he used to? And one of the first things I get out of the way is, first of all, As a follower of Jesus, we should always be ready to deal with anything, any unrepentant sin, right? Whether we're in a season of silence or not, you know? And then the main thing is God is not punitive. And what does that mean? That means God isn't punishing you, right? God punished Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's not punishing you. He's not the kind of God that's going to give you a silent treatment because you offended him or whatever, right? So just get that out of the way. Then, after we do that, I tell them, I'm like, I'm excited. This shows that you're growing. This shows that you're maturing. This shows that you are taking steps um, that, that grow you. Silence, if used right, can grow you, and you can step out of that silent season closer to God than you were before. So I want to just share, just real quick, three things that I learn whenever I go through a season of silence. And the first is God is always in control, and I'm not. And what do I mean by that? I tend to be um, a little controlling. <laughs> I tend to like things the way that I like them, and I will set up situations so that they come out the way I want them to. So when I come in this season of silence, I, I try to control God. I'm like, God, you're supposed to, this is my quiet time. I'm here with my Bible. You're not speaking. Why aren't you speaking? Well, I'll do this, and maybe that will make you speak, or I'll pray this way, and maybe that will make you speak. And when I do that over and over and over again, and God is still silent, it teaches me, okay, I can't control God. And, you, and praise God, right, guys? I mean, do you want a God that you can manipulate and coerce and, you know, adjust, you know, make him move with your feelings? I don't. And so that's the first thing I learned. God is not, or God is always in control, and I'm not. Second thing, and this is the biggest for me, is that a season of silence will teach you that God is always speaking it just might not be the way that you're used to. Um, so let me uh, show this just in a very simple way. Okay, this is a one base way that I believe God speaks to everybody. Does everyone see my earrings? They're very small, but they're perfect for me. Sean bought these for me last Christmas. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we always have a certain dollar amount. Like, we'll spend this on each other. And he totally blew his, like three times as much as we're supposed to spend. And of course, I still give him my dinky little gift, and he's like, oh, well, here's, here's these beautiful earrings. But anyway, um, so I could put these on day by day, just mindlessly, right? Oh, here's my earrings. Or I could put them on intentionally, knowing this is a symbol. This is a symbol of my husband's love for me. This is a gift he gave me. He picked them out special just for me. And so I can put them on intentionally, knowing that this is communicating love and to not forget. And so that's one thing. Look around. Look at your gifts. What is God communicating through gifts? And if, you can't, if you're at a season of life that's really hard right now and you can't find anything around you, go for a walk. Look at nature. Look at the things that God has given to us. I was reminded of this, actually, when I was reading one of the classics, the, the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. And um, right in the middle, of one of Sherlock's clients giving him his desperate case, Sherlock interrupts him and actually starts talking about God. And he says, All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are all really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is an extra. He has walked up to a rose. Its smell and its color are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. Now listen to this. It is only goodness which gives extras. And so I say again that we have much to hope from the flowers. And so in this one instance, all he's doing is looking at a rose. But in the rose, he sees goodness. And in that goodness, he finds hope. And I mean, that's just a little simple thing. But the main thing is, how does God usually speak to you? Does he usually speak to you through the Bible? And all of a sudden, the Bible's silent? Start worshiping. Start listening to sermons. Start praying a little bit more. Uh, Put out your antenna. Start listening for a different way. I'll bet you'll hear something different. Does God usually speak to you through music? Start reading your Bible more. I'll bet he'll start speaking through there. So do you guys see what I'm saying? It's like you can come out of here with kind of another tool in your tool belt. You know, a broader um, range of being able to hear God. Okay, third thing. God is always there. We have to stop relying on the way we feel, the way we feel during worship, the way we feel during our quiet time, the way we feel when we read our our Bible. God is always there. Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there, he's speaking. So when, now, when I enter a season of where God seems silent, because I think we'll all go through cycles like that, I don't panic anymore, I just be still, And I know that he's God, that he's good, and I start trying to listen to different ways. Thanks, guys.
2: Hi, good morning. Yes. All right, so uh, you may have heard this quote before. It's one of my favorites. I say it to my kids often. They're sitting right there. Um, so here's the quote. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So what that means to me is I, I begin to ask God about that. I'm like, okay, so is there, are there things that, I'm, that I keep doing that I'm not aware of, but I'm expecting something different out of that? So I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm asking him. He and I, I like to ask him questions and then wait, and he usually asks me a question back, and so we kind of dialogue back and forth. Um, and so when I'm, I'm actually, you know, waiting for his his response, um, and he kind of highlights uh, something, an area in my life. Um, this was maybe a month or so ago. He's highlighting to me how I manage stress. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, Uh, stress, anxiety, things like that. Now, um, oftentimes I realize that God, when he's highlighting something, I have a choice. I can press into that and, and ask him a little bit more, or I could be like, nope, not willing to go there. So this time I was willing to go there, and I'm like, well, so what about stress Is it? You know, what about, you know, because we all have stress. We all have pressures of life. And so I was really starting to examine that and realized, okay, there's different times when there's pressure and stress that I don't handle it as well as other times. So I'm asking him, well, like, is it actually possible to not have stress in our life? I mean, I'm asking God, is it possible to not have stress? in my life, and you know, in, in others. So I'm waiting, I'm thinking about this, and, and then, um, I realize that, you know, of course that's a silly question, because it is possible with God, all things are possible. So, and I'm, and I'm thinking about John 10, 10, which says, a thief comes only Um, to steal kill and destroy this is Jesus talking but I come to give you everything in abundance more than you can expect life in its fullness until you overflow okay so if I can have this abundant life then that means that I don't have to have this stress or at least I know how to do it differently So I'm asking him, well, how can I do this differently? Like, I'm looking, I'm thinking back, I'm like, I've had this in my life for as long as I can remember. I mean, I can go all the way back to high school and remember times where, you know, there's been stress and how I've managed that or not managed it. And I'm like, so how how does one even do this? Manage stress or anxiety or even eliminate it Altogether, because if we're supposed to have an abundant life, there has to be a way to do this. So I'm waiting for God to give me this, you know, five-step thing or whatever, but his words to me, it was really simple, do the opposite. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. What What does that mean? Do the opposite. So I didn't really have the full picture right then, but... Later on, I'm, I'm finding myself um, just still, like, feeling the stress, feeling the worry, the anxiety. And I'm, I'm sitting down. I'm having a conversation with my husband, Tom, because I'm like, I really want to know how to do this differently. I'm feeling this pressure, and I just I really want to respond to my, to my family different. I want to respond to my friends differently. How do we do this? So Tom and I are talking, and, and he's talking, and, and I'm crying. He's not making me cry, by the way. I'm crying because I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And of course, there is. But you know, when you've had this in your life for so long, you can't even see how to get through it. So Tom's practically talking to me about how to do this. And, and he says, well, stop working so much. Just put some boundaries. You know, slow down. Quit trying to go as fast as you're trying to go. And all of a sudden, those words, do the opposite, dropped back in my spirit. Because Tom's told me this before. He's told me, slow down. Do You know, stop working so much. Put boundaries on. But, but this time, I actually heard what he was saying. I heard what Tom was saying, and I heard what God was saying do the opposite. So I, I just sat there and I said to Tom, okay, you're right. I'm going to put boundaries. I'm going to set a time for me to, this is just practical things. Like I needed this practical way of just put a time limit. You're going to stop working at a certain time. Now we had been planning, some uh, VBS was coming up. And so I was working a lot. We had a lot that I was doing and preparing and planning for. So normally, I would be working a lot more. And and that's why I was feeling this pressure and this stress. But Tom's telling me, put a deadline, put a time limit. Okay, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do the opposite of what I normally would have done, which was... (laughs) I can't do that. You don't understand. It's not possible to put a time limit. I got so much to do, but doing the opposite. So I just said, OK. And as soon as I said those words, OK, it's like this pressure just immediately came off. Like, all right, there's one step. I'm taking one step forward. I'm going to do this simple little thing. So now I'm actually going to put this into practice. I'm at work. And I'm working, and I'm doing my thing, and, and I, you know, going through, and, and I'm, like, feeling good about this. And I'm like, oh, there's the time, the time that we, that Tom and I had established that I was going to be done. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can work one more hour. I'm feeling pretty good about this. I could just do one more. And then those words, do the opposite. Oh, yes, okay. My normal way of doing it would be I'm going to work longer. I'm just going to keep going, but I'm going to do... The opposite. I'm going to trust God that I'm going to trust my husband and trust God that we're going to put boundaries. We're going to do the opposite. I'm going to trust God that whatever I don't get done, he's going to fill it in. He's going to take care of it. So I closed my laptop, said goodbye, got in the car, text Tom. I'm on my way home. And again, that pressure just left. I'm like, yes, that's what it feels like to do the opposite. And I'm like, this is fun. This is good. Joy was returning. Happiness was returning. I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm doing the opposite. So I'm still, you know, working on this. This is a work in progress because, again, I've been doing this my whole life, having this pressure, doing, doing, doing. Now, I would say that I had, I was always doing a Sabbath. I always put the Sabbath in there, but I would work crazy up until the Sabbath and then then back up again. So it wasn't really... I don't think doing what it was supposed to be doing, for me at least. So, you know, I am, I'm still working on this. This is something that I know God is, is helping me through. Um, here's what I'd like to sum this up with. 1 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone. And a new life has begun. So we're not, we're not too old to have a new life. We're, this this uh, walk with Christ is always adventurous and new. And even if we've had something with us our entire life, like a little pet, we can just get rid of it. We don't have to keep walking in that same thing over and over. We can do the opposite. Yeah.
3: Okay, um, hi, again, if you're going to know me, I'm Caitlin, um, and I know there's a lot of Elevate people here today, and I already used the sermon to elevate, so no spoilers, um, but so I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm working with the youth ministry with my husband, and I was one of the people when at, like, big conferences and whatever, they're like, oh, who's going to be in youth ministry? My hand was not up, okay? I did not expect to get here. God brought me here through a crazy series of events, so... I didn't know I was going to be in like over a youth ministry someday. And so then one day I wake up and I'm in charge of a small group of middle school girls. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're going to learn how to do this together. And especially after We started meeting in person again a little while ago. I had a brand new group of girls, like totally clean slate. I kind of knew some of them, really knew a couple of them. Some of them I've never met before in my life. And so I am excited. I'm ready. I'm like, we've gone through this really long season of having to meet over Zoom, and that was horrible. And now we get to meet in person. And so I go in guns a-blazing. We're going to get into theology, scripture. We're going to go deep. We're going to go hard. Day one. And middle schoolers are not ready for that on day one. Let me tell you. Okay, they're not. Nobody is really. I don't think anybody's ready for that on day one because they don't know me. I don't know them very well. So where's the issue? What happened, right? Okay, so I was putting, Pastor Sean, as well as my husband, has always told me in leadership, um, always put your why before your what, right? So I was getting right to the what. I was like, we're here to grow spiritually, we're here to get deeper, we're here to build our relationship with God, and that's great. But like, how are we going to do that? Why are we doing that with these specific people? Okay, so following my own advice, I'm going to give you some why before some what on kind of what I'm going over today. So I realized um, one day that people who are not in the family of God, right, people who are not believers, they don't have a connection with God, they don't live in the same perspective we do, right? They have a totally different, like, lens on life. It's almost like living in a different dimension, really. And because I know if I walk to the church down the street, I'm gonna, I can come in and those people are going to love me, right? We know that Christians love each other. We, we have that default setting. Other people don't have that default setting, right? They might not know that you actually love them and care really deeply about them because there are so many weird, crazy ideas about love out in the world. Um, and so people might not actually know that you love them, and so that might be a little bit hard to minister to those people, right, and so um, me, I'm an analogy metaphor person. That's like my favorite thing about Jesus. is He's always talking in parables, and I get that, right, because I can see it. I can compare it, so I'm going to use a metaphor, and I'm going to use Hannah because she's my friend, and I love her, And forgive me, Sean, this is all hypothetical, okay? So Hannah and I are friends, right? We're a couple years down the road, and Hannah comes to me, and she's like, hey, there's this guy I like, and he's really cute, and I want to take him out on a date. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, you know? And I don't know this guy, but she's like, I can't talk to him. I'm too nervous. It's you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, which I would not actually do that in real life. But I'm like, okay, I'll go tell him for you, you know, whatever. And so I go to this random guy I've never met before in my life. I'm like, hey, my friend Hannah really likes you, and she wants to go out on a date with you, and, you know, she's super in love with you. Any sane person, I think, would probably decline, right? Like, a random person comes up and says, a random person's in love with you and wants to go on a date. Probably not a good idea, Now, on the other side of it, if this is a guy that I know, you know, we've talked before, he trusts me, I trust him, you know, we're maybe good friends, and then I tell them, hey, I know you haven't really met Hannah before, but she really likes you, she wants to try and, like, take you on a date, you know, he will probably consider it, you know, because he knows that I'm looking out for him, right, that I have his best interest in mind. So it's kind of, it can be a similar situation when um, maybe we're going out to, like, you know, convert somebody or or minister to them, is um, they may not know how much you love them, right? So if this person doesn't know that I care so much about their well-being, they can't necessarily trust what I'm saying, right? They can't trust, oh yeah, Caitlin's looking out for me. She wouldn't give me anything that was bad. She wouldn't try to push me into anything that wasn't what's best for me. And so that's where that word conversion can sometimes, for me at least, I'm a picky word person, Um, can fall a little short, because like in, in the dictionary, I love the dictionary, I look at it too often, the conversion, conversion is defined as an experience associated with the adopting a religion, right? So I convert to Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, whatever, you switch, okay? Evangelism is more defined as winning or revival of a personal commitment to Christ, right? And so this is where those two differences come in, really handy. Because conversion is, I want you to sit in a church pew and like vote for Jesus, okay? And that's good. We do want people to do that. I do want people to come to church, and I do want people to be believers. But more so, I want people to develop a relationship with like the person Jesus. I want them to know who he is. I want them to fall in love with him. I want them to nurture this like relationship with him. And then out of that, choose to you know either identify as a christian or come to church or whatever not just i told you you're going to go to hell so now you came to church because you feel guilty there's a big difference there and so the thing the thing that this all wraps up under is okay it's like evangelism where we are showing love showing god's love to people that's going to end with conversion right and then from that you're going to evangelize people They'll, at some point, hopefully convert. And then that leads right into discipleship. But the arch over all of that has to be love, right? And so here's the question. Do people know that you love them? Like, I'm not questioning whether or not you love them. That's all. I totally trust you guys, that you love people. But do they know it? Like, do they really, really know it? Because I know um, me and, I guess, I hate weird family terms, my aunt-in-law, Sarah, poor... We tell each other we love each other every time we see each other. Like I, she'll come into the coffee shop where I work. Hey, I love you. I love you, and it's great because I know she, I knew she loved me before we started doing that. But our brains are not always the best thing in the world, right? And you can doubt that. You can question whether it's real. You can question whether they do actually love you. But when we're telling each other that all the time and we're showing it to each other all the time through our energy, our relationship, through little gifts, all the things that you can do, it becomes more solid where you have this affirmation like, yeah, I know they love me. And so that's, I guess, my challenge to you today is I'm not saying don't just go tell people about God that you don't know. That's great. God's calling you to do that. Go for it. But make sure that the people around you know that you love them whether that's from a gift or a word or a time spent with them, because Jesus specifically said that people will know that we're his disciples because of our love, not even necessarily his love, right? So, but we don't have to do it on our own because his love comes to us, right? So that we're filled with love and can then push it out towards everybody else as his love through us. So, Now (laughs) that you have this, um, it's your responsibility to go out and do it. So tell somebody that you love them today and probably every day this week and for the rest of your life if you can. So there you go.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome, that's awesome. Yeah, I am so excited to share with you guys what God's been doing in my life. Um, Before I do, I just wanna say, that if you're anything like me, when you get excited about something, when I get excited about something, I just cannot stop talking about that thing to everybody. Is anybody else brave enough and willing to admit that sometimes you just can't stop talking? Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone. It's because I just get so excited about something and I just start telling everybody, I try to get everybody on board with that. And so oftentimes when God is speaking to me, he'll use somebody that I know and he'll, he'll bring them a word or bring them a vision about me. And he'll just have them talk for like 20 or 30 minutes, just straight. And God's just like, this time, Sean, you're just going to listen. This time you're just going to listen. And I'll tell you, I just love it. I just soak it up. And this happened to me recently. Uh, my friend Joseph, he came up to me because God gave him a dream about me. And he was telling me, Sean, I saw this. I got it. God gave me a dream about you. And you were sitting in the middle of a room with a large desk, and you were writing things on the desk. And what you were writing, you were writing the dreams and visions and the prayers that God had given you. And I said, Joseph, this is aligning perfectly with what God's been working on me for the past like, year or so. Because God's been telling me, Sean, the main, the main method of communication I'm going to speak to you is through your writing. And I was telling Joseph, I was like, honestly, my flesh is battled against that. It battled against that a lot. I didn't want to write down the visions and the prayers that God had given me, and I and I don't know why my flesh battled against it. And as we were talking, we discovered that the reason why my flesh battled against it is because if I wrote it down, then I was held accountable for my part. If I wrote it down, then I couldn't back out of it. Now, then it's real at this point. Once I write it down, I didn't want to be held accountable for the vision. It's not just it's not because the things that God had for me or the visions or the prayers were bad. I guess I was just lazy. I don't know, like there's some reason in my flesh that just battled against that. And my flesh didn't like that at all, but they were good God things. And so there's a famous character in the Bible that we all know. His name is David. And David, he was a king over all of Israel, but before he was a king, he was a lowly shepherd, right? You know, the Bible even says that he was so low that when the prophet came to anoint the king that his father didn't even think to bring him out from the fields, you know? But obviously, the story goes that the prophet anoints David as king, and David has been given his mission and his vision from God at this point on. God implanted his vision on David. And what God's gonna do in the next, you know, along the story, is he's gonna open up divine opportunities and open up divine doors for David to step in place. And one of those things was to take down the giant Goliath. David makes his way up there, he finds King Saul, and he begins to talk to King Saul about. Taking down Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 says, Saul answered David, You can't go fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat and kill it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig. Now, you know he's getting serious when he starts calling people pigs. Like, I don't know, I've never called a pig before, but he's, he's getting intense. He's passionate about this. I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God. And the God who has delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of a bear will do the same with this Philistine. And Saul said, go and God help you. You see, when David has been anointed as king, he didn't neglect his duties as shepherd, right? Right? He was still faithful and sure to complete his part of the deal while he was there. And David, he was probably 14 or 15 years old when he was anointed king. And how many of you guys would imagine that if you're a 14 or 15-year-old boy like at home just doing chores and stuff, and you get anointed king or president or whatever, it would be kind of hard to unload the dishwasher sometimes, right? Like, I would have a hard time doing that and just be like, no, nope, you go unload the dishwasher today. I'm, I'm going to be king. But no, that's not David's heart. David had the heart of a king before he was ever a king, right? You see, David, if David had not been faithful taking care of the little things, that might not have opened the door up when he talked to King Saul. Because if David, you know, King Saul is ready to just turn him away right at the door. But David said, no, look, I've taken care of the sheep. I've put my life on the line for sheep. And I believe King Saul saw that and said, yeah, he's the real deal. He will put his life on the line And God is with him. And so the point that I'm trying to make here is that when God puts a dream and vision on your heart, some of those dreams and visions and prayers are conditional upon your ability to see them through. Some of God's visions that he has for you are conditional upon your ability to see them through. And today I don't want to go into the different dreams and visions or prayers that God has for you. Um, I, I want to encourage you guys to find that out on your own. But I do want to say that some of those are not going to automatically happen. And this is why we need accountability. So when Joseph told me those things, me and my wife began to talk together and think of creative ways we could, you know, cultivate this reality of writing down our prayers and visions. So we envisioned this prayer wall, and we put it together. And we have a picture of it on screen here. Let's put up the prayer wall. Yeah, so we put this prayer wall in our second bedroom in our apartment. And on the left side, we have our prayers and worship inspiration. And on the right side, we have our prayers and visions that we posted. For us, writing down God's prayers and visions for us and then posting it in a place that we're at all the time was a way to keep us accountable. And the main reason for that, the main point tonight is accountability brings intentionality. And intentionality, when it's paired with God, brings reality. Accountability cultivates intentionality. And when you're intentional and you pair that with God, it cultivates reality reality. It changes reality. When you hold yourself accountable for what God is speaking to you, your intentionality on seeing that thing through shoots up. And when your intentionality goes up, and when you pair it with God, the vision begins to form. So I want to challenge you guys tonight that if you have a vision or a direction or a prayer that God has given you, you need to find a way to hold yourself accountable to that. You need to find a way to hold yourself accountable. For some of you, it may be doing what we did by putting up a prayer wall or putting up a prayer closet or a prayer notebook, or whatever that looks like. For others, maybe joining a real life group and sharing that with the group so you have other people to keep you accountable. Whatever that looks like for you, just know that the things that God is working on, some of them are conditional upon you. They're conditional upon you. But the good news is once we do our part, God is faithful and sure to do his part. Once we uphold our end of the bargain, God will absolutely uphold his end. We, all, we, need, we know that all we need to do is start walking forward and God will do the heavy lifting. Deuteronomy 7:9 says, understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obeys his commands. I'm gonna leave you guys with this. When God gives you a direction, you need to cultivate it, activate it, and watch God move in your life. And that's what God's been working on me.
5: awesome Um, let's pray real quick father uh, I pray you just give me the supernatural ability beyond my natural ability to speak with focus and precision and to stay focused on uh, what you want me to share and I pray that you would give all of these people uh, whether they're here or watching online the supernatural ability to just absorb every important thing Uh, that you've told me to share. In Jesus' name, amen. I think everything that everybody has shared so far is, I mean, it is 100% applicable to all of us, 100% across the board. Um, And everything that I've heard today um, has resonated with me in one way or another. What I want to share with you guys, what I believe, um, you know, when Pastor Sean asked us, share something God's been showing you uh, well, you know, it's like God's been showing me a lot of things lately, but there is one specific thing that I felt uh, that I was supposed to share. And I want to say this, that I believe that this could apply to anybody, but I believe that it does apply to some specific people. And what, and what I share, if, if this is what God has been speaking to you, then it's going to be a confirmation to you. But if God has not been speaking this to you, I don't want you to receive this in any form of guilt or condemnation or anything like that uh, because you haven't been sensing this. Because remember, the Bible says, I believe it's Romans 8.1, says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so I want you to just receive this with an open heart, open ears. And if God's been speaking this to you, then consider this a confirmation of that. So... Uh, Most of May and part of June, Sarah and I, my wife, went on a sabbatical. And it was uh, so powerful and so necessary, so strategic in the time that we are in in our life and following God. And we came out of that time with several important things that I really believe God deposited inside of us. And one of the things that I came out of the sabbatical with was a really a renewed and a reignited passion for following Jesus with a total commitment. And I know that that seems like you make a statement like that and it's like, well, isn't that what we're all supposed to do anyway? Well, of course it is. But let's just be honest. We pretty much most of the time don't do that. And what I mean is we do follow Jesus. And we do give him A lot of our time and a lot of our life, but I don't know that there's a lot of us that have crossed the threshold into what I would consider and what I believe the Bible teaches as a total all-in commitment, and there is something significant that happens when you cross that line, and uh, so I want to read you just to give you a foundation for this. Um, Romans 13 11, this is out of the message Bible I like how it says it you can go read any other version you want um, but listen to this it's just it's chapter 11 and then maybe a little bit further it says but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day by day man that's like what Becky was talking about right okay I'll keep going I prayed for God to help me here okay But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. "'The night is about over. "'Dawn is about to break. "'Be up and aware to what God is doing. "'God is putting the finishing touches "'on the salvation work he began when we first believed. "'We can't afford to waste a minute. "'We must not squander these precious daylight hours "'in frivolity and indulgence, "'in sleeping around in dissipation, "'in bickering, grabbing everything in sight. "'Get out of bed and get dressed. "'Don't loiter and linger, "'waiting until the very last minute.' Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Now there is a there is a a seriousness, a sobriety, a, a commitment level in that that I think God is calling people to. And there's a point where you again you cross this line and you cross this threshold where all of my trust is in Jesus. I mean. I I may have a lot of plates spinning and a lot of things going on. But ultimately, at my core, at my foundation, my trust is completely and totally in God and in his word. And it made me think as I was preparing for this, it made me think about the story of Gideon's army. Some of you know about Gideon and Gideon's army. Let me summarize that for you. So Gideon, this is found in Judges chapter 7. Gideon is... Uh, leading the army of Israel, which is not real big. He has about 32,000 men, just a little bit more than 32,000 men. And he's facing off against the armies of the Midianites, who have 135,000 men. So the odds are overwhelmingly stacked against the army of Israel. And so even with those odds, Gideon is praying and he's talking to God. And God says, you know what, Gideon, you've got too many people. Because there, even with the odds that you're facing, if you win, and I'm telling you you're going to win, I'm making a promise that you're going to win, but there's a chance that the, the, the army of Israel might say, well, we did this. You know, this was us. We're that awesome. And so God says, so we're going to reduce your army down some more. And so God does a couple things. He directs Gideon, number one, he gets everybody together, and he says, first of all, I want you to address your army and say, anybody here who is fearful or trembling, uh, give them a free pass to go home. No, no guilt, no condemnation. You know, this is a free pass. You're free to go. We're not banishing you from Israel or anything like that. Verse three says... Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned home. So now Gideon's army of 22,000 or 32,000 becomes an army of 10,000. And then God gives a Gideon another instruction. He says, Now send everybody down to get a drink. And anybody that gets down on their hands and knees and just drinks straight out of the water, send them home. And so he does that, and he watches, and he separates everybody out, and he sends home 10,000 soldiers. So you kind of get an idea where we're going here. He has, he has about 300 guys left now. And so now what's left is 300 men who are clearly standing only on the promise of God. That's it. Because if you do the math... 300 against 135,000, each one of those soldiers would have to defeat 450 of the enemy in order to achieve a victory. And that's not statistically possible. So they are completely standing on God's promises. And God began speaking to me, coming out of the sabbatical, that I'm looking for people like this. And when I first... Started kind of processing that and praying about that. I I I kind of interpreted that my own way. And I even alluded to this a little bit last night, and so I'm amending it some right now. Kind of like, oh well yeah, we I mean, we're living in crazy times, you know, and these are really stressful times and people are dealing with anxiety. God's looking for people like Gideon's army that that are not you know, influenced by things going. But you know what? That, it's really, it really doesn't have anything to do with current events. God's looking for people who no matter what is going on, no matter what's going on, I mean, there may be uh, wonderful things going on all around you in the news and everybody's getting along and there's, there's no sickness and nothing's happening, but you may have turmoil in your own life. And God's looking for people who say, Regardless of what I see, regardless of the circumstances around me, I'm standing on the promises of God, and I'm responding to the call of God in my life, and I'm moving forward with whatever God's calling me to do. God may be calling you to sell everything and go be a missionary, or God may just be calling you to be a voice for him at your job. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing for every person, but God is calling each one of us. And God is looking for people who are willing to have the same mindset and the same level of trust and the same level of commitment that those 300 men in Gideon's army had. And of course, if you read the story, there's a, it's an amazing thing that happened the way that the battle was won. And all 32,000 of those men received the same promise from God. And you know what? They all enjoyed the victory because they were part of the nation of Israel. But only 300 of those men stood on and acted on the promise and were a part of that victory. And so this is what God's calling us to do. So as I begin to wrap this up, I want to ask the band to come back up. Gideon's army was made up of a certain type of people who were operating at a certain level of commitment. And I'm saying that God is looking for this type of people right now. And I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. If if God has been stirring this up in you, I want you to consider this to be a confirmation of that. Last night when we, when we had service in here last night, I had people come up to me afterwards and say, this is exactly what God's been saying to me. Thank you so much for saying that. And I'm sure there were a lot of people that that wasn't the case. And if that's not the case, this isn't like a beat you over the head. How come you don't feel this in your heart? No, there's no guilt or condemnation. But I'm talking to the people that have been sensing this. And I'm telling you, This is your confirmation. God is calling you to step out into a place of total commitment. So if this is you, it's time to lay down anything that's competing with that. It's time to take anything that's competing with a 100% full commitment to the cause of Jesus and step in to whatever it is that God's calling you to do. And so let's go ahead and stand up. And as we do this last song, I really just want to, I really want to uh, encourage you to be listening to to the Holy Spirit speak to you. And uh, maybe it wasn't with, what maybe it didn't have anything to do with what I just shared, but maybe what somebody else shared really resonated in your heart. And as we do this song, and we just kind of tune in to the victory and the power of God. I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying as he follows up with everything that's been shared today. Father, right now, we thank you, God, for what you're saying. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you're speaking even when we're not sure if, if we're, we're hearing correctly, Lord God. Sometimes it's just like we've got to tune in to the right frequency that where you're talking. But God, I thank you that like like Becca shared, that you are there. You are always there. Thank you, Lord God, that you are always speaking. Thank you, Lord God, that even though you are the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and the most high God, you care about us. What an amazing thing that is. It's hard for my mind to even process that. You care about us. You have an interest in us and you want to be involved in our life. You want to bring us through into your purpose, into your plan and into your victory. And we give you praise for it in Jesus name. Go ahead and praise God right now. Come on, he's worthy to be praised.